SCP-7795. Th is for 13. As I've said before, working for the Foundation is generally a pretty rough job. Whether you're a field agent sent into an unknown dimension filled with potatoes, or a researcher assigned to a mindless killing machine or a horrific disease. It seems that sometimes, though, the SCP universe saves the really bad stuff for the average person, hitting them with a horrible situation with no warning and no reason. SCP-7795 involves a young girl being afflicted with a very, very rough condition, and the Foundation attempts to solve the problem before it's too late. SCP-7795 has the rather unique object class of Dependent, meaning that the anomaly is legally dependent on the Foundation, and is listed as a 12-year-old girl named Mia. Every year, on October 24th, the date of Mia's birthday, she invariably dies. The day following her death, she will materialize in her bed, having de-aged exactly one year whilst retaining all memories of the previous lost year. This results in an annual looping effect, and all attempts to impede or mitigate the effect have resulted in failure. Efforts to suppress Mia's memories of the event have similarly proven futile. To alleviate the compounding physiological and psychological effects associated with this event, Mia has been provided a Foundation therapist, who has successfully convinced them that their birth date does not coincide with the event. Despite this, her mental health continues to deteriorate as her deaths become increasingly traumatic. We're then given a notice from the Ethics Committee, informing us that the following documents denote gruesome depictions of the mutilations and deaths of a child, and should one read through these documents and find themselves negatively affected by their contents, the Absolution from Volatile Knowledge Act allows any employee not directly involved with an anomaly to seek out immediate amnestic treatment. The first incident occurred in 2003, when during a return trip from her grandparents' house, an intoxicated driver suddenly swerved lanes, resulting in a head-on collision on a highway. Both the offender and Mia's grandparents were killed on impact whereas Mia's stomach was pierced by multiple pieces of glass. Despite medical professionals arriving on the scene in less than 10 minutes, Mia bled out after only 7. While this event was not inherently anomalous, the Foundation was alerted when Mia's mother made a frantic call to the local police the following morning, in which she claimed that a demon was in her child's room. Operatives were immediately dispatched to the scene, where they discovered a clone of Mia wearing a party hat displaying the number 12. Due to the child's own distress and panic, alongside that of the mother, they were swiftly taken into Foundation care. Mia was classified as SCP-7795 and moved into a humanoid containment chamber. Since entering Foundation custody, Mia has expressed severe confusion, due in part to both memories of her death and her sudden detachment from her parents and friends. As her anomaly is not yet understood, and Mia is considered deceased outside of the veil, she has been amnesticized of all familial connections and other recurrent stressors. Attempts to remove memories of her death have failed, however, though she has since been persuaded that it was simply a nightmare. 
The research head on the project, Rebecca Larson, hopes at the time that this is just a one-off anomaly, as she still has her entire life ahead of her, and she'd prefer it if she spends it outside of a cell. As per standard human containment protocol, Mia may be provided with typical amenities at her request, within reason. So far she has requested multiple outfits, a television set, a bookshelf with multiple books, a stack of paper, and multiple packs of colored pencils, all of which were approved. Of course, on October 24th of the next year, Mia suddenly began choking while eating lunch in Site 37's central cafeteria. Multiple nearby personnel immediately responded by performing the Heimlich maneuver, resulting in the breaking and fracturing of four separate ribs, though ultimately this proved futile. Mia expired six minutes later due to both a lack of oxygen and internal bleeding caused by a fractured rib puncturing a lung. The following morning, she rematerialized within her containment chamber, having once more de-aged a year. Similarly to the aftermath of her first revival event, Mia expressed confusion and disorientation, alongside a noticeable apprehension towards eating. Attempts to convince her that this occurrence again was simply a nightmare showed tentative success, but Rebecca has doubts that such success will continue in the future. Her team has suggested the implantation of multiple similar nightmares throughout the intermittent year of each event to help in disguising the actual occurrence, but she won't put a child through dozens of pseudo-deaths for the sake of upholding a lie. She deserves the best of them, not the worst. The protocols for Mia got updated so that at least one staff member must supervise her at all times on October 24th, and should she start to be affected by the death event, the staff member is to immediately notify MTF Zen 13 for medical aid, who remain within 100 meters from her at all times between October 23rd and 24th. On the next October 24th, at 12.51pm, a breach occurred at Site 37, involving seven Euclid and four Keter-class anomalies. As such, standard lockdown procedure was enacted, including a site-wide lockdown, resulting in Mia being locked within her cell for the duration of the event. 27 minutes later, the breached sectors were flooded with para-sedative gas, though an error in the dispersal technology resulted in Mia's cell also being flooded with the gas. Due to the presence of various nerve agents, Mia expired after two minutes due to suffocation. The breach was summarily contained just three minutes later. Following her revival, Mia expressed acute symptoms of multiple breathing ailments, the foremost being asthma. While time and therapy will likely remedy such symptoms, Rebecca worries that this is just a warning of things to come. Mia has already expressed a subconscious dread of the 24th, and Rebecca hopes that her deaths don't lead to future conditions. Her team continues to suggest the implantation of nightmares, but she will deny each and every proposal. Pain for the sake of future relief is a foolish notion to force upon a child, as she's already going through enough. On the following October 24th, at 3.47pm, Mia was spending recreational time in the outdoor sector of Site 37, alongside the children of a couple of researchers, when a thunderstorm suddenly formed. 
Due to its rapid appearance, the children were unable to be called in before Mia was abruptly struck by lightning six times in a row, the first of which also managed to injure one of the other children. Mia expired immediately following the sixth impact, while the other child was paralyzed from the hips down. When Mia revived, she awoke in a flurry of twitches and spasms, which were so extreme that the MTF had to immediately administer muscle relaxants. Even days later, her hands continued to tremble. Mia also begins to regress emotionally, and Rebecca fears that this is out of guilt due to their friend becoming paralyzed. Even though they have avoided explaining Mia's anomaly to her, she still reasoned out that somehow the blame is on her. She sobbed herself to sleep for three nights. The protocol gets updated again to make sure that individuals unaware of Mia's anomaly are not allowed within 10 meters of her on October 24th, so as to avoid incidental injuries. On the following October 24th, Mia was attending an impromptu therapy session following a series of particularly extreme breakdowns, despite the concerns raised by the MTF due to the date. 27 minutes later, a then unknown group of interest, later determined to be a recently emerged Thaumic group known as the Bloodless Martyrs, breached Site 37, overtaking multiple sectors. During the breach, Mia's state immediately began to regress as she repetitively proclaimed that the breach was all her fault. Her therapist attempted to soothe her, until five armed individuals suddenly breached the room, executing the therapist and taking Mia as a hostage. Using her as a negotiation piece, the group made multiple demands, including unimpeded escape, a multitude of anomalous artifacts, and documents pertaining to said items, threatening to kill Mia if they were not met. Despite Rebecca's advocation for Mia's life, the Site 37 director determined their demands to be unreasonable, especially when considering Mia's revival aspect. As such, an MTF was deployed to the site to immediately capture and or assassinate all infiltrators, with additional orders stating to treat Mia as collateral. Within the next 12 minutes, all overtaken sectors were successfully recaptured, but when the group became aware of the attack, they promptly executed Mia via the thaumic removal of all of her blood through her pores. Despite the MTF killing the group within one minute of this process occurring, immediate medical response proved futile, and Mia expired three minutes later due to blood loss. Mia was catatonic for approximately 48 hours after reviving, after which she remained selectively mute. She also expressed an aversion to socialization and an intense phobia of the color red. Additionally, her newfound guilt over the death of her therapist has made it extremely difficult to address said issues. Rebecca tries to help her herself, but progress is slow, and so far her only words have been, I don't want anyone else to get hurt. On the next October 24th, due to an info-hazardous breach, Mia suddenly became aware of an anomaly, at which point it manifested and proceeded to gruesomely mutilate her with audio suggesting that she lived through her dismemberment for approximately 13 minutes before expiring. Afterwards, an MTF managed to quickly eliminate the threat. After she revived, the MTF amnesticized her of all the memories pertaining to the info hazard. 
Rebecca notes that Mia's state continues to regress, and alongside her general mental degradation, she continues to grow fearful of the world around her. Even dim corners seem to terrify her, requiring lamps and other light fixtures in most rooms she goes through simply to keep her from breaking down. It's no way for a child to live, and she'll figure something out soon. On the following October 23rd, for the first time in roughly 18 months, Mia agrees to attend therapy, during which she steals three different bottles of pills. At 11.55 that night, she swallows all 73 pills before going to sleep, only to awaken at 5am the next morning, vomiting. The guards outside of her room immediately enter to provide assistance, unaware that Mia had pickpocketed their clearance card. At 6.43, she left her room under the pretense of attending another therapy session, only to instead navigate to one of Site-37's arms lockers. A gunshot followed a minute later. She revived as expected, but after doing so, she begged Rebecca to let her die. On the following October 24th, at 12.23am, Mia was administered a lethal injection, expiring two minutes later. When she revived, Rebecca notes that this was the calmest she had seen Mia in six years. She still wouldn't speak much, and her phobias were still as realized as before, but she seemed much calmer, almost peaceful. Rebecca says that she should feel happy, but how can she rest easy knowing that she ordered the death of a child, even if it was to give her peace? Following an ethics committee deliberation, a routine was put in place to terminate Mia in her sleep via lethal injection on October 24th. Three years later, Rebecca notes that none of the prior three injections have been easy, but it's hard to overstate Mia's improvement. Her selective mutism has all but disappeared, only popping up in now infrequent breakdowns, and many of her phobias have been reduced to vague fears by routine therapy. She seems as alive as she was when she first came to the site, jovial and happy, and her paintings as of late have been a wonder to behold. Morbid as it might seem, it appears that the Foundation has figured out how to give Mia some sort of a happy life with her anomaly. That is, until October 24th, 2017, 14 years after first being brought into the Foundation's custody. As per routine, she was administered a lethal injection at 12.01am, but instead of the expected reaction, she woke up seven minutes later convulsing in pain. The MTF was immediately alerted, and after a series of tests, it was determined that Mia was experiencing mass necrosis and organ failure. All attempts to treat the conditions were met with adverse reactions, resulting in a greater degree of bodily harm than it would have otherwise reduced. As such, the MTF resorted to treating her with an assortment of pain relief, numbing agents, and anesthesia, all of which proved moderately successful, though quickly diminished in effect by the twelfth hour. Mia lived through this pain for over 18 hours, notably much longer than her condition should have allowed her to, most of which she spent sobbing, writhing, and screaming, causing her vocal cords to rupture and most of her skin to be rubbed raw. Finally, at 6.31pm, she expired, and revived as expected. Rebecca writes that she held Mia's hand for nearly 19 hours, as she screamed and shook and cried and prayed for help, 
and she was helpless. All she could do was sit there and hope that her pain would end for hours and hours. Since this incident, Mia's state has greatly regressed, further even than her state prior to the lethal injection program. She attends about one in four therapy sessions, has effectively cut contact with all friends, refuses to eat more times than not, and sleeps for over ten hours every day. The following October 24th, Mia attempts to hang herself with her bedsheets at 3am, but a guard notices after 35 seconds and manages to cut her down. She then lunges at the guard, attempting to wrestle the blade from him, cutting her hands multiple times in her efforts. The guard shoves Mia off of him, causing her to fall and crack her head against the bed frame. Despite the MTF's quick arrival, Mia died from internal bleeding, and the guard was amnesticized and placed on paid leave. After reviving, Mia became entirely mute and emotionally distant, alongside showing severe signs of general dissociation. She eats about once a day and seems generally unreactive to most conversations. She completely refuses to attend or even acknowledge therapy, and Rebecca remarks that she's slipping away and they're running out of options. Rebecca subsequently proposed Project Neverland, the aim of which is to neutralize the anomaly through the use of temporal technology. She proposes that by stunting Mia's aging through localized temporal stasis, it will effectively keep her from reaching the age of 13 which is suspected to be the main activation requirement for the anomaly. Following approval of Site-37's director, the Department of Chronology developed a device which Mia is required to wear at all times. Unfortunately, despite functioning at full capacity for the entire year, the device suddenly began experiencing a series of malfunctions on October 24th, resulting in Mia's abrupt and rapid aging. She aged 132 years in approximately 27 minutes, and expired due to the death of most tissues and organs. When she revived, she awoke experiencing extreme levels of disorientation, and appeared extremely distraught. Despite this, she was entirely unreactive to most stimuli, and now must be led to most places and reminded to eat, though even this has proven unsuccessful most times. Either she's entirely locked herself away in her head, or there isn't much of her left. Project Neverland Phase 2 suggested the use of a temporal stasis chamber, a device regularly used by the Department of Chronology and therefore determined to be much more stable than the device used previously. Following the director's approval, it was determined that Mia would be placed in the chamber one month before October 24th during which she would be supplied oxygen and sustenance through a series of tubes, along with multiple added pain relievers and soothing agents with the hopes of mitigating mental state degradation should a failure occur. On September 24th, then, Mia was successfully sedated and suspended within the chamber, where she remained until 11.17pm on October 24th, at which point Site-37 experienced a total collapse of all on-site power including that of backup generators, resulting in the breach of 13 anomalies. This resulted in the loss of 31 personnel, and due to the absence of power, the chamber's oxygen recycle failed, causing Mia to suffocate within the chamber. When she revived, she would react to no stimuli and is effectively comatose. 
As such, the MTF has placed her under life support, including continual routine medical care and supervision. Rebecca notes that if she could take her spot, she would. For Project Neverland Phase 3, Rebecca suggests that the continuous failure of temporal stasis implies that being younger than 13 does not mitigate the anomaly, and instead they should utilize a modified temporal chamber to age Mia an entire year before October 24th occurs. The proposal would involve aging her at a rate of 100 times traditional speed, aging Mia one year in approximately four days. Following the director's approval, this was successfully carried out on August 5th, and concluded without incident on August 9th. Mia continued to remain on life support until October 24th, at which point Site-37's on-site nuclear warhead suddenly primes, with activation reported to occur in five minutes. All attempts to deactivate the warhead, including attempts made both on and off-site, were met with failure. All attempts to remove or otherwise dispose of the warhead through thaumaturgic or anomalous means were similarly met with failure. Rebecca became aware of these continuous failures a few minutes later, at which point she immediately made her way to Mia's medical bed, where she sat beside her, crying as she held her hand. One minute later, with one minute remaining before detonation, Rebecca withdraws her sidearm, mutters, I'm sorry, over and over, and terminates Mia with a shot to the head. The nuclear warhead deactivated simultaneously. The final phase of the Project Neverland proposal consists of abandoning Mia within a non-dimension, in which her expiration can neither be said to occur or not occur. The Department of Surrealistics insists that this will neutralize her affliction by the anomaly, which will be unable to occur due to the cessation of her existence. This will result, unfortunately, in her termination, but the Ethics Committee has deemed it the only remaining ethical solution available to the Foundation. On August 9th, 2022, Mia was sent into a non-dimension via the use of a modified Scranton Reality Anchor, at which point the device is deactivated and destroyed. The revival event has yet to occur, and Rebecca leaves a final note, writing that she's sorry that they could not save her and to rest well. While the Foundation is occasionally portrayed as cold and cruel, I think they really did pretty much everything they could here to try and solve Mia's condition, especially Rebecca. It's hard enough for people in the real world to have to experience unpreventable horrors afflicted on certain individuals, especially if they're children, but the SCP universe really just amps things up. Presumably Mia is now as close to dead as anyone could really get, and the horror isn't stacked on top of that by making her conscious of anything, but it's still not really a happy ending. We're never really told what caused this anomaly to afflict Mia out of anyone else on Earth, or how exactly it worked, but much like the real world, horrible things happen to people for no reason all the time. At the very least though, as bad as it is, in our world, a person only has to go through a horrible death one time.